Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good evening, or good night, wherever you may be in the world. May God bless you and keep you. But this is another episode of Conversations with I Am Lacey P. And I hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving week with your friends and family and that you remain felony free. Amen. Okay, and we are back now with Greg Brinkley, and we are talking about his book, Uncivilized. How government work, excuse me, how government workers behave and what to do to help them. We are so grateful for him because he's booked and busy as a library. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing well, Lacey. Thanks for having me back on. You're very welcome. We're going to just jump right on into this good old conversation. My first question is, why is it so very hard for upper management to work with lower paid individuals or in lower paid positions just for a little while not all day we just might need you for about two or three hours i think it has a lot to do with culture in the organization and specifically in the uh, micro organizations within the overarching culture of that office there are managers and supervisors who have not really applied themselves in terms of their leadership abilities they also are unaware to some degree of the people within their uh, authority who they're, who are, who they are dealing with but there also is responsibility placed on the actual employee because the employee sometimes does not understand that there are situations that call for other duties assigned. Um, so I think it goes hand in hand, maybe a 60-40 situation where 60% is on, a, on the leader and 40% is on the employee, but both bear responsibility. Ultimately, the leader needs to be in a position to create an environment where those who are under their authority are willing to go the extra mile. And that has a lot to do with the leader's influence to do that same thing. If they model it, if they're able to position themselves in such a way where their employees can actually literally see them do something outside of the scope of their responsibilities, it may not be glamorous. It may not be um, noteworthy, but it is something that keeps the, the gears of the organization moving, then employees generally will go along with that. Because ultimately, these employees are looking for someone to lead them and lead them in a, in a way that is fair and, and, and makes sense. So if the employee sees the leader as not embodying those characteristics, then the employee is going to check out and do their own thing. So I think there has to be some awareness from both leader and employee to see the need to to be flexible and not resistant to something that may upset their sensibilities you know there's just just no i don't want to do that oh is this 15 minutes yeah but it's 15 minutes out of my day and they got so much to do well sometimes that 15 minutes could actually have uh, a um uh disproportionate impact because that 15 minutes of something outside of your quote-unquote classification 
can actually have a greater impact on your ability to promote or your ability to lateral to something else or to take on a detail or to look good on your application or resume for that next job because you did something that you were willing to do that others may not be willing to do. And I'll add to that, that the employee who is aware enough to see that positions himself or herself over and above those who are saying, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Nah, why, why should I do that? I'm not getting extra pay for that. But the, per the person who sees that will see the inordinate amount of value in that that's going to propel them a lot further in their career than those who say no. Yes, responsible, responsible and also accountable and willing to go the extra mile of the way. If he wants you to go one mile, go with him too. Yes, we appreciate folks like that. Thank you all for those who go the extra mile, for those who stay 20 minutes longer just to help get an assignment done, for those who come in one hour early for the importance of the entire, for the importance of the totality of the mission at hand. We thank you all so much for your love and your dedication to the service and the betterment of our society. We thank you so very much. All right, my next question is, you you talk about in the book of multiple people. The first one is the I'm important people. We've seen these folks in action. They're usually legacy government worker employees who are third and fourth generation because they know folks in higher places. Everyone should listen to them. Their granddaddy, their grandmother, their mom, their uncle, their aunt, their cousins all have worked in government services in some form or fashion, whether it be different departments or the same department. How do we eradicate such mentalities that, oh, I'm important, I know people? Personal responsibility. <laughs> um, and, and I would say that it is not just those who have relatives within government that have that 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 mindset it could be someone off the street who already has a sense of entitlement because they are so focused on what matters to them over and above what the company or the organization or, or the agency desires so if their idea of work is well I'm first then it, it just it just, go, it just goes down the, down the tubes. Because if you have 15 people and then 20 people and 25 people, you have a great segment of the of the agency or team who have that who has that mindset. Then you're not going to get much done because their mo their 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 mo is really about what really fits with me, what works for me in my cubicle what works for me in my station so when 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 you have people who have relatives working in that environment it just takes a quantum leap it just it gets it gets uh even more exacerbated well yeah exacerbated and and um really amplified 
Because now it's it's you know, oh, you're gonna do this to me. Well, you don't know who my mama is. We don't know who my cousin is. They work in this area. Oh, let me talk to them and see what they can do behind the scenes to fix this. But there's always gonna be that one supervisor who really doesn't care who you're related to. They bout it, bout it. They don't care who your folks is. If you if you try them, you going out that door. Oh, point blank, period. Okay, great. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that that's the person who will put you on a performance plan regardless of who you're related to. They will find ways to to um, uh, just short-circuit your effectiveness. They will give you different assignments that they won't that the others won't uh, take on. I mean, I mean, let's be real. There are supervisors that are vindictive. Very much so. I can testify to that. Exactly, and and I've seen them as well. But at the end of the day, it's personal responsibility. You cannot expect other people to build yourself out of these jams that you put yourself into. It's best to avoid those by elevating your level of work ethic, making sure that you are on point with what you need to be doing in your job. And then if you want to get to a different level, don't always base it on who you know. Because like we talked about earlier, it's not just about who you know, there are other factors. Who you know, I, I've seen people get into positions because of who they know. Oh, me oh, too, yeah. multiple times. Because one of the things I recognize while in government is um, <laughs> if, if someone wants a certain person for something, they will. They know how to make it work. They know how to get somebody in, and they'll find ways and means to do that. But by the same token, you need you need to make sure you're in position to stay there. Yes. You may get your foot in the door. Yes. But staying there is another thing. And if you are with a supervisor or a, a leader in government who really doesn't care one way or another who you're related to, then you're up a creek. Now you've got to produce. Now you've got to um, have the stats and the numbers and the and the quality and the production that will enable you to at least keep your head above water at the very least. Not just excel, but just at least to kick take stuff off the radar. Speaking of keeping your head above water, you almost have to be like Michael Phelps in the Olympic pool working for the federal government working for state government i mean there are so many demands on one person it's insane and then you just want you're not a machine you are a person but you can't tell the federal or state government that because oh they don't want to comply with policy well you know there is a policy where there is a work-life balance right um, I've been here, Mr. Sam, I've been here since six this morning. It's eight o'clock at night. I have achieved A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Why do you need me to do H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, N, P before I can go home? I have not talked to my family they think something has happened to me because a lot of people work in buildings where they cannot bring in their personal cell phone but leave your work cell at home and it's a problem there are incidents where i know for a fact 
folks have accidentally dropped their work phones. And let me tell you how fast government work for the for the public. They had this person a new phone the next day. The next day. They were like, oh my God, did y'all just airdrop this something from the sky? I don't even get my own personal new cell phone in one day if I drop it. But the government, oh, when they want you, they gonna get a hold to you and they gonna make sure you have a device so they can. It's amazing. But when you try to get time off, they act like they don't see it. It pile up on their desk like dust on a fan. Horrible. The next person that I want to talk about is my job is safe. This is the biggest myth of them all. People think because, well, just because there's two jobs for every one person in the working class and, and that's working in America, well, shoot, they can't fire me. Listen, they will put a homeless man on that job if they, te- if, if they know that this homeless man will walk to work every day, be nice and clean however they do it. And can perform the job. Y'all better, y'all better quit acting like, oh, they're not gonna fire me because so and so my uncle, because so and so my granddaddy, because so and so is my auntie, because my mama work in HR. Baby, they will fire you and your mama just to eradicate you as the problem. Don't get it twisted, baby. These is not a thing of Twizzlers up here. This is real life government situations. And so that's the next thing I want to talk about. Um, my job is the biggest myth of them all because again i reinstate this COVID proved any job can be canceled and also it depends on your position and how long you held the position in certain departments because some people retire and still have to get a, a part-time job so w- what are your thoughts on that well i think one of the things that i i bring up in the book is there is no there is no such thing as job security there really isn't, even in government. I've seen people walk walked out of buildings by law enforcement because they did something that they were not supposed to do. Um, so it is possible to lose your job. But the one thing I do mention in the book is even when you are working in government, there are other things that... Um, you see people get away with, but yet nothing happens or very little happens. Sometimes it depends on the person, but I think there are situations where there's a, uh, a staged sequence of events yes. that will pre- that will um, uh, precede a person getting either reassigned mm-hmm. or fired. Yes. So I've seen it, but the thing is the the mindset that says my job is safe is a dangerous one to have agreed because it creates a sense of complacency yes that i can i can just nibble and nibble and nibble and nibble mm-hmm. and and continue to do this thing or participate in this type of activity um and then nothing will happen and to some degree, that may be true depending upon the agency you work with, mm-hmm. depending upon the, the super first line supervisor that you have. You may be able to get with the, away with a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, at some point, 
what you reap, you will what you sow, you will also reap. Oh, for sure. So it's only a matter of time before that will come back to bite you, and it may not necessarily be your job. Because here's the thing: my definition of job security is not about losing your job, right? Only, right? In the book, I talk about how when I worked in a in the federal government, the building I was working in had a recurrent issue with Legionnaires' disease. Oh, yes, indeed. And yes, that is frequent. Yeah. And a lot of government buildings had mm-hmm. uh, has lead poisoning or the paint mm-hmm. or the floors. You hear about people. Did you work from, I don't know what that army base is, mm-hmm. from like, 19, it's a commercial. Uh, Kepler June. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> did you yeah. work here from 1955 to 1987 mm-hmm. or did your family live on base? Mm-hmm. Well, they've discovered the water or whatever has caused kidney disease, uh, lung, it caused heart, liver, all your eternal, internal organs is just pretty much fried like an egg and done for. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole lawsuit going on and all of these things. So you're, you're definitely right. So many people are suffering because of gov- the government, the, the, how old these buildings are in government. You know, it's cool to get new windows, but if you are not trying, let me say this. Go ahead. <laughs> the government sometimes works backwards. I want to cuss, but I'm a Christian. And so I'm trying to, I, I'm a cusser in recovery, okay, everyone? And so um, you could, how can I say this? A building can get new windows, but it needs a new gas line. So all that work you did to put in new windows is going to go to waste because now you have to dig up the pipes that's under the building. And so now you have to put the building on professional, uh, what's those, stouts or pallet jacks or whatever or jacks so that it can stay steady and also you have to dig up this gas line by the way you don't have a map for uh the blueprint for what's going on under the building and so you kind of got to guesstimate yourself through so if you knew that this building needed a new gas line and yet you still put in new windows how is that cost effective? I find that to be absolutely terrible. And then there's a hole in the roof. So not only is your bottom messed up, your middle is messed up, and your top. I thought when we were dealing with buildings, you work from the, from the ground up, not from the top down. I'm just saying. Let me add to that because I think that when I was talking about job security, it is not just about losing your job. It's also about feeling safe at the job. So that issue with Legionnaire's disease where people were having to bring in water when before they will be able to go to the, the, ca- mm. the cafeteria water fountain or the break room to get that same, that, that water. Now they don't feel as secure. And they're thinking, well, did I catch it because... I just had water the other day. Now I'm getting this email. Right. Okay, so what's up with that? So I think there is uh, uh, 
a need to understand that job security is not uh, is not just this one look. No, it's not. You it's know, multiple. It's, it's multiple, multiple looks of job security because even being in a large environment or a large building has its own issues. issues. Um, not just the small offices, but the large offices. And there has to be um, responsibility on the part of, of the leaders in government to yes. see, okay, we need to create a safe working space. Yes. Things happen in, in buildings. Things happen and you can't control everything. Right. Some things are just uh, sporadic and, and, and one-offs, whatever the case may be. But ultimately, ultimately it's going to have an effect on those who are working Agreed. I mean, an elevator that's been broke six months is out of order. A uh, wheelchair ramp that handle is almost about to just fall off. That's out of order. The fact that you have to call maintenance and do multiple maintenance request forms. That's out of order. Uh, no one should have to wait for an air conditioner or heater to be fixed during the winter when it's 25 degrees outside and you need your clients in certain places. That's out of order. You should not wait until there's going to be a visit from the Department of Justice, by the way. In order to get these things fixed when you knew three weeks ago that the air conditioner is broken and then you want to wait until survey come on campus be like, oh my God, survey's here. We can't use this building because the air conditioner is out and it's 107 degrees in there. We have to place them somewhere else. Sometimes the government plays checkers when they need to be playing chess and maybe sometimes even backgammon. But my God, something has to be done with these structures that are no longer uh, uh, habitable in a lot of places. My next question is, how do we get policymakers to connect with the folks that their policy is affecting? Um. That is the 64, one of the $64 million questions because there really is no true surefire way to do that. Mm-hmm. There, you know, um, the, the powers that be in government will send out surveys and, and assessments, things of that nature, and those are well and good now there are changes that are made, but there's no real way to know what changes are being made um, until it happens. And even then, the changes may not always reflect what those employees are in need of the most. I think there is, it's, I think it's admirable that um, government entities want to get that feedback but there's still a disconnect in being able to understand, okay, we heard your feedback and this is what we're going to do with your feedback or this is what we have done with your feedback mm-hmm. to show, okay, there's a, a bridge between what you share with us and what the result is. So I don't know how to answer that question because I think there is an, uh, uh, an overwhelming 
um, disconnect when it comes to not just getting the information or the data, mm-hmm. but to translate that data so the workers can see, oh, well, I had an issue with this, and this is what they're doing to address that issue. Right. And I can see the results of this issue on... Um, on a, on a lower level or at the at the at the lowest levels of, of office right um, uh, operations government and operations and so on I can see this at work and I mm-hmm. can see how this is actually helping me to be more efficient or to be more uh, qualitative or to be more um, dedicated to my work right my next question uh, I guess part two of this was do you think Policymakers have people first mentality, um, and if if not, how can this new generation, uh, Gen uh, Millennials uh, Z, and later on uh, Gen A, cultivate such a mentality? Because what I am finding is that, uh, and what I do know is that government is supposed to work for the people in which they are elected from or hired. Um, and it's not always that way in government. It's a me first mentality, but not a people first mentality. And so do you believe that change is possible when it comes to uh, work in the government? Because the state legislators, I know in Texas, I don't know about the rest of the country, is that they meet every two years and they establish new law. But is there a way or is there a possibility in which they can look at the laws over the last two to four years and say, okay, we've, we've, we've gotten a lot of emails from not just our constituents, but the people who have elected us and 85 to 92% of them say, hey, we, we like this policy. This policy is working for us. It gives us a better work-life uh, balance uh, it, gives, it gives checks and balances to people who are in mid management and upper management and also the administrators but we don't really like this part uh, is there a possibility that we could have this changed or looked at well I, I'll address the first part of the question uh, first um, I think that in my experience working in government I think government can have the capacity to be people focused in the book I really advocate for more values yes and, and understanding that people base their lives around their values and their beliefs oh yes for sure so it's not just doing people because then if you're dealing with on a, on it being people oriented mm-hmm. then it's gonna be on a different set of criteria Right. Then the actual values what that drive people what the, to to do what they do for sure. So government has uh, a great opportunity to really understand values, mm-hmm. values that really drive people to work, to to be productive, to to uphold the mission, right. to um, to to be team oriented and and to have not just uh, not only from an employee perspective but right. also from a leader perspective too because the two are still important cogs yes. on various strata of government right 
how can we deal, look at values from an employee rank and file level, yes. to, on, a, on that level rather, uh, on a mid-manager level, mid-supervisory uh, level, correct, uh, on an executive level. Yes. How do we look at the, because all the values are not going to be the same. There are some there are some root values, right? There are some primary values, right? But when you get into the actual work, right? Everybody doesn't have the same values when it comes to the work and also their careers, because what an executive values at their level of career is not going to be the same as a rank and file, right? So that's one aspect of it. So is change possible? It is possible. Mm-hmm. All things are possible, but here's the thing. Government needs to, and, and I'll say this, that 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 I don't want to paint things with the broad brush to say that government is doing anything. Right. Government has made some strides. They have. In the last 15 to 20 years mm-hmm. to maybe not as long as 20, but maybe more so 10 to 15 years in being able to prioritize things such as work-life balance. Right. And really advocating for that. Now, the question still remains how do we get people to buy, buy in? Exactly. How do we get them to buy into the work-life balance? And also not just buy in. How do we get them integrated into this model? Right. Because integration could, is key. Because you can send emails. So people are just going to, you know, see the email. Yeah, it doesn't apply to me right now. Click delete and keep working. Right. Not really, real, not really being aware of the fact that they are the prime people in need of work-life balance. Correct. So how do you... How do you create messaging around that to get people to see, okay, I fall into this category. I need work-life balance because, you know, work is this way and and my life outside is not really matching up with that. I still have issues that I'm coming to work with. Yes. But I'm also bringing stuff home that doesn't need to be brought home. I have a dear uncle who shall remain nameless. Who said years ago, I was 12, so this was in 99. He said, Never bring work home and never bring home to work. Because again, we're talking about work life balance. And so, what I have found uh, with this new generation behind millennials, uh, talking about Gen Z, and uh, some of these Gen A children is that they have a screen in front of their face. It's not the chalkboard or the whiteboard or the overhead projector that my generation grew up with, right? They have had nothing but screens. They all have laptops that are connected magnetically to their desk or some sort of way. And so one of the ways that their their teachers engage with them is through the technology that's available. That could be a good thing and a bad thing. But for the good part of it, you've seen social media videos, even religious organizations are getting into commercial use on, you know, hey, are you on Snapchat? Are you on Instagram? Follow us. This, 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 this. And so um, when a person sees a social media video 
oh snap i need to go get in on this they got this this and this going oh my god you see the ink the link in the video they posted on tiktok reels or instagram reels yo man i need to get in on that oh my goodness they even brought this back or anything like that i think that'll be really cool uh for this generation that's falling behind my my generation as a millennial because uh all of the all of this Gen Z and Gen Alphas, they've all had screens in their face. So, do you believe that the government will adopt to be adapt? Because if they see an email, be like, "Oh, there ain't nobody but Janet." I ain't about to answer that email. But if they see like a governmental Instagram or TikTok or Reels or Facebook. Be like, hold up, girl, check that out. It was Janet and June and Jennifer. They were all on her. It was more engaging. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. It, uh, when I would sit through different training videos at my job throughout my career, they would have people from different agencies. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the director of this. I'm this. That's great. But I don't know these people, right. and and their presentation was so, so cardboardish. Probably dry as a cornmeal flower house. Yeah, uh, there's, there's no. I think the level of creativity and innovation hits a ceiling. They are adapting, but how do they take it to the next level? And be cre more creative and innovative in reaching people, especially Gen. Z, Z because like you said they are they, they are driven on things like you know who was the who is the influencer yes. that speaks to, to to me right maybe it's getting celebrities to do it maybe it's getting um, notable people that are um, speaking their language right that's what I mean by messaging yes you can't just have a certain certain type of message that expect everybody to be on board you have to create messaging around certain demographics, uh, certain demographics, and certain um, enclaves of people. Correct. So that they can understand. Okay, they're speaking to me. They're speaking my language. Okay, I'll, I'll pay attention, and I may not be able to pay attention for a hot second. Maybe TikTok is another way to work that because right. it's a small bites and chunks. Correct. And and make it creative. I'm not saying that the director of of um, you know, um, information and technology needs to be, you know, <laughs> you know front and center every time. Well, yeah, but not even so much that. I mean, that part of it, but you don't need to be, they didn't even seem doing something that is not in their wheelhouse. You know, right. they're not doing, you know, this, this, this trendy dance right. on TikTok. Right. Yeah, that's, you know, but you have to be creative in being, in reaching certain groups of people, demographics, enclaves, uh, cultures, and so on. Right. And government has shown that they can do this. It's about taking that creativity and thinking outside the box with it, which is exactly what government is not used to doing on a general level. They don't really think outside the box. They create a box. Right, and if you and dare, they, they, they create a box, and creating a box, they say, okay, well, this is the what, what we, this is what we want to do with this right. inside this box. Right, but there's so much outside the box right. that is still not, re, still not understanding. It's not about making the box bigger. 
It's about being able to, this is our box, but how do we go outside that box? That's right. Because contrary to popular belief, Gen Z, you won't always have Meg the Stallion knees. Okay? There will be a point in time when your knees will give out. Okay? Trust what I tell you. Your snapback won't be as quick as a rubber band comes back together. Sometimes it's going to be as slow as molasses being poured in a jar. I'm a witness. All right. So the final question is most problematic route. Yes. Um, this right here is going to be the last question. But in regards to most problematic route, even when people are self-aware, do you think they will change their negative behavior? Well, that's a um I think it's really a misperception. No one is totally self-aware. Nobody on earth is totally self-aware. Some people are highly conscious. But no one is 100% self-aware because there's always something that we are not understanding, not only about ourselves, but about the world around us. Facts. And when we are brought into greater levels of self-awareness, then we come to understand them much better and then how we need to show up in those spaces but the fact is when it comes when it comes to government um the most problematic root is ignorance and 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 when ignorance is at an all-time high it, because it is yeah it it now becomes a challenge of seeing what it's going to take to shift from ignorance to consciousness right and that does not happen in government within itself right that doesn't happen. It takes education. Right. And and education is not... Well, I'll put it this way. There's academics and there's education. Correct. There's not the same thing. You're right. Education is really, you know, you break the word down. It's 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 leading out of... And I dealt with it in the book. I know. It, yeah. And just bring, bringing someone out of, of ignorance. Right. Bringing forth. Bringing forth. To. Leading forth is coming to... A higher level of consciousness mm-hmm. but that does not happen when a person rejects questions that they want to run from right so they have to be asked questions that they would rather not be asked but that requires deep work to yes. say okay I can't run from this question let me think into it mm-hmm. rather than be told what to think right let me Allow this question to get my mind to come up with what is possible, oh, what yeah. my options are, how I can approach this differently without someone telling me what to do. Right. Man, this was another phenomenal episode. I mean, if you ask me, another phenomenal episode of Conversations with I Am Lacey P. We are so grateful that Greg Brinkley joined us again for this wonderful episode. I do highly recommend that you get his book uncivilized how government workers behave and what to do to help them greg we want to say thank you so much for your time is there anything that you would like to tell the people uh online with that ignorance piece one thing that i would always go back to if you fail to go within you will go without yes that's it if you fail to go within you will go without we thank you so much and you know my motto, if you not going to be good, please be careful, okay? 
I am a government employee, so I cannot bail you out of jail, but I can pray for you because I'm a Christian and I love the Lord. Thank you so much once again for joining us on Conversations with I Am Lacey P. I pray that your family is well, and I pray that your family is safe. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.